We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the RotoWire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, and we've got another fun Highlander Keeper episode uh, to kind of scratch that dynasty itch in between uh, MLB draft episodes here. Uh, Jesse Roach from Baseball Prospectus is back with me. And Jesse, uh, this this week we're going to be talking about the underdog keeper selections that were made in the Highlander Dynasty Invitational uh, you can check out the episode from about a month ago that was on the fan favorite selections. Uh, but for people who didn't uh, hear that episode or maybe just want to kind of refresher, do you want to kind of go through uh, what the underdog keeper uh, all entails, like where these players uh, had to have been selected from and how long they can be kept? Sure. Uh, it's good to be on again. Uh, always a fan of the pod and being on the pod. Uh, it's great. And I know all the listeners are <laughs> uh, big fans as well. But the underdog designation in this league is a player who's been drafted in the 13th round or later in the startup draft. That's going to change in future years, but that's besides the point. Uh, that's what the designation is. And when you assign the designation to a player, you protect them from being poached in the three offseason drafts that other teams are allowed to are permitted to poach players that are unprotected from your roster. So this basically, you know, is a player you're committing to for three years. And there's also a lot of, there's a lot, there's some difficulty in terms of trading these players. Uh, there are trade restrictions. You only can trade an underdog for another underdog in the same year. So, and then if you do make a trade, there are other penalties. So these are players you're basically pot committed to, uh, Granted, you know, these are players after a 13th round or 13th round or later, so they're not like the stars necessarily, but maybe they could be. And then one thing that I think is interesting to kind of touch on before we uh, bring in our first guest here to explain uh, his underdog selection is just, you know, kind of the decision between whether to use the underdog selection on a prospect you know a handful of these guys are, are prospects who are not going to debut this year might not even debut next year uh versus a big leaguer uh because if you if, okay so like for instance you you select a prospect who's maybe two years away from the majors as your underdog um you know what are your what's your thoughts in terms of making that decision um versus a a big league hitter and like the benefits versus some of the the drawbacks of that instance. 
Plus, there's the rising star designation, and there are you can which allows you to keep a prospect with a pick in the last five rounds of star draft with one of if you've selected that prospect with one of those picks or had selected that prospect off of waivers. Um, there's distinctions, and there's a reason why I think a lot of owners who could have kept players as rising stars decided to keep them as underdogs, besides roster construction purposes. Uh, the rising star designation, you lose it when a player loses rookie eligibility. So for certain players who may arrive in the major league sooner and they lose rookie eligibility, you're not getting the same type of protection that the underdog designation provides. Yeah, and and then there's also just the... I mean, what we can kind of get into it um, when we get into the specific players, but um, I just I found it very uh, challenging to kind of weigh the pros and cons of keeping, uh, say, a high end prospect who is over a year away versus maybe a guy with less ceiling uh, who's in the big leagues. Um, but I mean, a lot of these a lot of these decisions were were very complicated. Um, but I think it was, it was such a fun, almost more fun to me. I thought was making the underdog picks than the fan favorite picks. Cause, uh, basically all the fan favorites were guys who are in the majors performing right now. Whereas there's just a much more diverse crop of players who are kept here uh, under this underdog tag. And I think it'll be really interesting. We had guys that were selected in that 13th round. Uh, and we also had guys who were completely undrafted in the 40 round startup draft, uh, but we're still good enough uh, to be selected as the underdog. Um, all right. I want to bring in our first guest and he is on first because he is in first place right now in the standings. And that is Smada uh, from Prospects Live. Smada, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's been a, a fun ride so far. Definitely still early, but uh, it's nice to be sitting in first for sure. And your pick for the underdog uh, keeper selection was Tyler McGill, who you took in the 19th round of the startup. Uh, how easy of a call was that for you? Um, at the time, it was extremely easy. Uh, he had uh, just come back off the IL, uh, pitched on June 10th, and uh, showed his velocity. Uh, was back. Uh, June 15th was our designation date. And then June 16th, he was back on the IL. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, that's that's where we are there. I still don't know if I'd change that pick, um, even given the IL, um, you know, re-entering there. But uh, yeah, at, at the point that I had, I um, uh, let's see when it, when we had first drafted, you know, ever we knew about these designations and where the rounds were ahead of time, right? And so, thirteenth round rolls around, and I was thinking prospect at the time of the draft, and I had taken Kobe Mayo in the thirteenth round, and then uh, Aurelvis Martinez in the in the fourteenth. Um, so I was thinking, you know, one of those guys would maintain eligibility uh, or not eligibility, but uh, maintain their uh, high end prospect status. Um, and uh, what has ended up happening is Aurelvis, I still have on my team, uh, has uh, shown shown a couple warts, but, uh, you know, and, and hasn't uh, been the player that uh, I was hoping he would be at this point um, in the year. So. Uh, it wasn't quite enough to pick him over uh, McGill for me. And then I'd actually traded uh, Kobe Mayo and uh, along with him, Gunnar Henderson, who I took uh, many rounds later, uh, who I who I definitely would have considered at this pick had I still uh, had him. 
And Smata, you, I, I've played in Dynasty Leagues with you before. You, uh, it seems at least from my experience, you always try to win in year one. Was that is that the case? And uh, I, I take it that was the case this time around as well. Um, yeah, it definitely was. Um, in most of my experiences, the prospect prices are a little bit higher than I'd like to pay in the draft. I don't necessarily go into the draft saying, hey, I'm going to push all in year one. But after the first few rounds, if my team is shaping up to be um, a team that is going to push for a year one victory, then I am going to push all my chips in uh, for the most part during the draft. Um I did, you know, sprinkle in some of those higher end prospects in the beginning, but I did know that there was a good chance I would trade them and use them to solidify the needs that I had, um, given, you know, whatever those needs may be. Because, you know, in the startup draft, you never know, are you going to need saves? Are you going to need starting pitchers that are going down or uh, whatever it might be, right? So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of where uh, it just kind of shaped up um, with this draft. And then I think the extra also, you know, the 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 different uh, keepers and designations and um, potential to lose players, I, I think has really kind of shifted. And we've seen it in the value of prospects a little bit in this league, but it's shifted a lot more towards uh, MLB players having a bit more value. And that's yeah. kind of where my head was at too. Yeah. I also think just the way in which roster construction works in this league with so many hitters in particular that need to be active for your active roster mm-hmm. and that there's an incentive for teams to field competitive teams and try to accumulate as many plate appearances and batters face as possible for purposes of draft position. So there's more major league players rostered than you'd ever see in a typical 20 team league. So as a result, there's less prospects rostered. So, Mm. you know, while this is a deep league with a lot of very knowledgeable owners, 800 player rosters plus IL, you know, there's probably, I haven't counted, but I would imagine there's probably about eight, 200 roster prospects rostered about 10 a team is my my guess um on average so it's not necessarily the deepest prospect pool that's on rosters in this league and uh, i think your approach was obviously very good you're in first place uh for our listeners like the gunner henderson trade people hear the name gunner henderson especially with with how well he's been doing this year up the triple a uh potentially going to be a top 10 prospect very soon i imagine on some people's lists and you traded gunner henderson kobe mayo and cole calhoun for starling Marte and wade miley uh that trade was may 13th uh i mean you're obviously pushing all in um you know Marte is a guy that can help lock in some stolen bases for you um average give you a touch of pop two how are you feeling about that trade now yeah i mean it's definitely a tough one. Uh, giving up Gunner was was tough at the at the time, and it's even it's even harder to stomach a little bit as he's been moved up to AAA. Um, and you know, it's just overall he's been great this year. But uh, you know, yeah, again, just given where I was, I mean, if, if you're not going to push all in, um, you know, and and if you're trying to win and not pushing all in, then you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. Um, and so. You know, had I waited a little bit, maybe I could have gotten a better um, return than Starling. But again, that that stolen bases is a need, still a need. Uh, I just traded for uh, John Birdie, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just uh, it's just part of it, and and kind of having that year one focus. Um, I don't necessarily regret it, but yeah, it's it's definitely hard to see. <laughs> Samata, you uh, could gain about I don't know eight or nine standings points in stolen bases 
with like a, a big month it it kind of looks like in that category uh and now you have Marte, you have birdie uh how good are you feeling in terms of just your your standing right now as we kind of go towards the second half of the season definitely feeling good um the stolen base upside is there of yelich too um and it's just uh you know everyone's got to stay healthy uh that's a big big part of it um and you know i've had some bites on the um uh, starting pitching side you know woodruff went down i moved him for carlos Rodon. i you know another move i never thought i would have made <laughs> you know beginning of the year um but you know as long as the pitching holds up i i think think there's a good shot but again there's a handful of teams there that uh, are making pushes as well pushing chips in as well so it's going to be uh, going to be a tight race well really appreciate you joining us uh is there anything you want to plug that you got going on over at uh, prospects live or anything like that yeah so um yeah i'm very much behind the scenes of prospects live um kind of running just uh the company uh back end stuff at this point uh putting up some of the apps and stuff that we have on our patreon but i would just say check out all the work that uh, all the guys are doing over at prospects live um it's been really cool to see the, the biggest satisfaction i've had is seeing people go off to teams and and bigger and better things um and uh, all these, uh, there's we've got a handful of guys that I think, uh, you know, pushing for what could be uh, a scouting job at a major league team. And the best way to uh, to help support that is to read the work, go to the Patreon, so we can continue to, uh, you know, help pay these guys go see games. And and yeah, it's uh, it's a fun thing uh, to do uh, in the spare time. That's for sure. Well, yeah, it's a it's a great site. I definitely recommend people supporting that uh, via the Patreon and. Uh, I'll be on the, uh, the mock draft that'll be, uh, I think next week. So looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. Um, really appreciate you joining us again and, and good luck the rest of the way. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you guys. Thanks a lot. All right, Jesse. So yeah, Tyler McGill kind of bad timing there. Um, it did seem like, you know, he made the Gunnar Henderson trade before the McGill news, but I, I liked his sort of approach of just saying like, I'm, I'm going for it. I'm not just sort of 85% going for it. I'm actually going all in to try to win this year. Yeah. You know, flags fly forever. And in this particular league with the poacher element, I think you can definitely make make do with going for it and then quickly rebuilding your team if you need to uh, or reorganizing pieces through the poacher draft. So the next team uh, that I wanted to talk about was Akeem Gillespie's, uh, whose uh, pick was Nestor Cortez uh, for his underdog selection. And Akeem is is right in the mix. I think he's maybe third or fourth in the standings right now. Uh, he took Nestor Cortez in the 21st round of the startup draft. Uh what before we get into like maybe other options that type of thing what, what's your sort of take on Nestor for dynasty i mean he uh had a bit of a stumble last night um but is this the type of guy that you you envision as like kind of a top 20 top 25 starter uh going forward or is there more regression coming than even that you know, I'm not I'm not keen on him as that type of player. I think he could conceivably be a solid mid-rotation arm. Obviously, he's showing that right now. He's showing even more than that right now. Um, you know, it's hard for me to get fully behind a player who relies so heavily on deception um, when his raw stuff 
it just isn't doesn't stand out in any way, shape, or form, really. Um, I and you know he's not like the fastball. While it has nice carry, it has very poor extension. I mean, he's not a big guy, and you know it. The deception is really what's driving a lot of his success, and I just I question how how much he can carry that success forward. Yeah, no, I think that's that's all fair. Um, he, he, I've thought this for a while. I mean, he reminds me a lot of uh, Johnny Cueto. Um, Cueto probably had, you know, Pete Cueto probably had better stuff um, than Cortez. So uh, there, it's a it's a fine line when you're relying on deception like that. Uh, I think just kind of glancing at Akeem's team, it looks like to me his next best option would have been uh Vinny Pascantino who he took on the 17th uh would you have gone that route over Nestor um you know probably not I'm probably lower on Pascantino than most people are for for what it's worth uh you know a lot of it, we're seeing an older player dominate triple a he's 24 years old um he's a perfectly fine defensive first baseman but he's very much limited there um he may end up being a platoon bat who plays first in dh and i mean that's the risk with pasquantino at least with cortez we're seeing him at the major league level and performing there's just a laundry list of first basemen who have just destroyed the minor leagues and have crashed and burned at the major league level and the ball hitting bar is so high that there is really no room for error and you know i mean aj reed just always comes to the forefront of my hmm. mind and we see you know nate Lowe, for example has just not ever really taken off at the major league level either and it's just there are not many players at first base only who really truly establish themselves as, you know, dominant major league forces. So that's my concern with Pasquantino. But yeah, I mean, Cortez is perfectly fine. He's producing now. He's 27 years old, so he'll have him locked up in, until his age 30 season. So, I mean, any play, plays for the Yankees on a team that is one of the best, is the best team in baseball right now. He's going to get, hopefully get wins, give teams give Akeem ERA whip, you know, give him those nice rate stats. Um, even if I don't really think the strikeouts are going to necessarily be there long-term, the rate stats probably will back up. Um, I still think he'll be solid. It's, it's a safe ish selection in my opinion. Yeah. And I mean, my preference for this pick, the underdog pick was trying to get um, a big leaguer who like, I'm looking at big leaguers who I trust a little bit going forward who are kind of in their mid twenties. I think that's like, if you can do that, that's the sweet spot. And then, you know, but without that option, uh, you're going to be looking at prospects or something else. Uh, the next team I want to talk about was uh, the team of the itch and the itch selected uh, Christopher Morrell, who's one of two undrafted players to be given the underdog tag. And this was actually uh, a funny one because he made a, like a last second switch. He had originally uh, declared uh, Tony Gonsolin, I believe as his underdog and then switched it to Morrell uh, before the deadline. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on, on that selection? Um, you know, I, I, I applaud his boldness. You know, Morrell obviously has been a dominant force so far in the major league level, five home runs, seven stolen bases over his first 33 games. I mean, that type of power and speed, is hard to come by um, and locking it up over a 
three-year period is fantastic. You know, Morel's just 22 years old. He may just be touching, scratching the surface of what his ultimate potential is. You know, there is legit power and speed for Morel. There always has been. I mean, it's plus raw, plus speed, 93rd percentile sprint speed this year. I mean, he's stealing bases at the major league level. That's the biggest thing, right? Opportunity, uh, aggression, instincts, they're all there for Morel. And he's hitting leadoff for the Cubs. Uh, I do think there's going to be regression. I mean, it's hard not to see it or at least believe it. Uh, there's serious swing and miss in his game, and there always has been. Um, if how he's able to kind of, you know, maintain his production while managing his swing, swing and miss is going to be key moving forward. His whiff rate already this year is 34.3% and it's climbing. Uh, but his approach has, I think, helped weather the storm a little bit. And, you know, I imagine that major league arms are going to adjust. And once they adjust, it's going to be about whether he can adjust back. And uh, I really like the pick in a lot of ways because, again, bats in this league are hard to come by. And getting a bat like Morel, who's going to have multi-position eligibility likely, uh, who's young, who's plays for his favorite team, I think that was a motivating factor for this pick, uh, that's definitely worth the gamble. I think I kind of like the idea of shooting for high upside with this pick, even if you miss. I mean, it hurts to miss a pick like this, but it's not nearly as bad of a big of a hurt as like the fan favorite. Yeah, I mean, I it, the nice thing about this league, and you you touched on this a couple times with just how many hitters have to be uh, started. Uh, like, even if Morel is sort of only Adolis Garcia or something like that, like he's still someone that you're very happily running out there every week, right? And yep. um, a guy that can impact multiple categories. Uh, do you have any? Do you do you look at a guy differently? when they make the jump over triple a and have success like morel did like does that give you a little bit more and another guy that kind of comes to mind like this is ezekiel duran who uh, got off to a good start has kind of slowed down a little bit but like is there sort of more uh margin for error in terms of their production in the big leagues when you factor in that they they weren't at triple a or do you just kind of evaluate all the hitters the same whether or not they came from double a or triple a you know, I don't really, I I think you're going to see this more and more often at the major league level. People, you know, teams just jumping players from double A to the major leagues. I don't think that the gap between double A AA and triple A is nearly as large as it used to be. I do think there's a gap, but it's tiny now. I mean, there's a lot, there are definitely very high quality arms, some arms that have excellent command in triple A, but there's also a lot of like org, org depth. Like that's where org depth goes to die in triple a, um, you know, you're there's, I think you're going to see a lot more talent pitching wise in double a, but it thins a lot quicker than it would in triple a. So I, I don't, it's not a huge issue for me. It doesn't really move the needle any which way. Uh, I think that part of the reason why Morel got the opportunity for the Cubs was because he's on the 40 man roster uh, and performing of course in double a. So, at the time and same thing similarly with Duran too. Um, and I guess we can also lump Michael Harris in there as well, because he skipped triple a, I mean, it's just happening all the time now. And, uh, I'm again, I'm not, I, 
I'm very down on AAA right now. We've seen so many players go right from AAA to the major leagues and just fall on their faces, even after double after dominating AAA. I just don't think – I think there's a the, – the gap between the major leagues and AAA is the largest it's ever been, in my opinion. And the gap between AA and the major leagues might actually be closing ever so slightly. Uh, so, I mean, I think there's a reason why we're seeing Corbin Carroll sitting in AA still. Yeah, I mean, I think – the gap between AA and AAA seems like the smallest gap on the organizational ladder. Uh, and I think the gap between AAA and the majors and the gap between complex ball and single A are probably the two biggest gaps to me right now. Um, and that Agreed. sort of ties back into what you're saying about Vinny Pasquantino. Like if, if he comes up, I mean, everyone can't wait to see Pasquantino right now. And I, I think he could have success. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he if the hit tool is just good enough that he was able to have success. But if he like goes out there and sucks for like a month, then all of a sudden people are going to be like, uh, so this 25-year-old first baseman who uh, is really struggling at, in the majors and has to play in Kansas City, like, like that's the guy that I need to be super patient with. You know, I mean... Uh, there, there is, there's an okay case, I think, to maybe selling high. I mean, we've seen that with like Jaron Duran, right? Yeah. He was an older prospect who was dominating AAA, of course, different type of domination. You know, didn't have the swing, he had a lot more swing and miss in his game underlying that than Vinny Pasquatino ever did. But then he crashed and burned the major leagues, and then his value went. And he's also near the bot, near ish the bottom of spe- defensive spectrum. He isn't really a center fielder. So, after he couldn't hit the major league level, his value just absolutely tanked. And I think that's the big risk with a player like Pasquantino. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to Kevin Hastings uh, selection uh, of Sixto Sanchez as his underdog. Uh, He took uh, Sixto in the 15th round of the startup. Uh, I probably thought that uh, this was probably among the weaker selections I thought uh, in terms of an underdog, because while I could see how it could pay off, I just think it's much more likely that this just becomes kind of a burden uh, on Kevin's roster where he's just stuck with Sixto for three years and possibly at a point during those three years, he might even want to just get off him completely. Like I could see it being that bad just from a durability uh, standpoint what was your what was your take on the six dose selection uh i was surprised <laughs> i did not expect it especially since he has a lot a lot of other options that i very much prefer to six to like juan yepes for example um who he selected in the 21st round uh that's the first one that like just jumps out at me as a guy that i would auto select over Sixto. He also has like Kyle Lewis, who would be more intriguing in my mind than Sixto. Uh, I just, he, he scares me. I'm way, I'm very much off on Sixto right now. Uh, you know, he just, well, at least this is what, what had been at least led on to the public is that he wasn't following the instructions of the Miami medical staff you know how much that is like team noise uh versus the reality even if it is just team noise and it's but it's true that's still problematic you know you you should be following the medical advice of your employer um or and you know we i think we saw everyone saw that video of Sixto sanchez rehabbing or just playing catch that bizarre video where the ball just kind of like 
it was bizarre. It it was just the weirdest throwing motion. Ball just trickled out of his hand. And of course there was a setback. And I just don't have any confidence that he's going to ever be back to where he was. And if even if he gets close, I mean, whether he'll be on the Marlins, I just doubt. Yeah. I, I mean, Craig Mish came on the podcast a couple months ago and like told me that Sixto was the one who released that video, which was even the crazier to me. Like I was just like, there's no way he would want that image getting out there because you can't you can't unsee that. <laughs> it's uh, so that, weird. <laughs> I don't know um, what happened there. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I mean I, I would have probably gone with uh yeah, I mean you you mentioned um you mentioned you would have gone with Yepes. I mean I would have even kept like Hunter Renfro or Garrett Cooper over uh Sixto there. Um but uh you know it 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 could work out right um so next guy i want to talk about is uh chris clegg who selected uh mackenzie gore in the 18th round of the startup a great pick by chris and probably a pretty easy call for him uh to make uh gore his underdog yep i agree you know it's all it's still all about command with gore you know his walk rate starting to climb back up it's up over 10 percent now he's had a couple rocky outings lately uh I do think there's going to be some bumps in the road, but his fastball is a very legit pitch. Uh, it's one of the best fastballs in baseball. You know, prior to these last couple outings, it was actually the best fastball in baseball by run value. Uh, and I mean, it's a 95 mile an hour fastball from left side with great shape. And, you know, if he can command it and work on developing his secondaries, which have not, you know, none of them really truly stand out as uh legitimate you know bat missing offerings in my mind except for maybe his changeup which he very seldom uses and it has gotten lit up this year at the major league level when it isn't missing best uh if he can figure that out those secondaries i think he legitimately still has that type of the upside that we saw in him several years ago before the command just fell apart where would gore rank for you among all pitching prospects if he were still eligible uh, he'd be behind, he'd be ranked third for me. I, I know that we have like different, I guess, rankings of these of pitching prospects, but I would have Boz first, Grayson Rodriguez second, and then Gore third. Just yeah. because he's up in the major leagues producing. I think from a if you're looking at it from a real life perspective, I probably wouldn't rank him third, but for fantasy purposes, I definitely would have him in that range. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's uh maybe his value peaked like two or three weeks ago. Uh, but I think he's, he's absolutely right there with those guys uh, because he is up having success. Uh, I probably would take Boz over him at this point, but I might even take him ahead of Grayson, especially if I were contending in dynasty. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's see here. I've got a little bit more time before our next guest comes on. Um, We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Let's see. Maybe let's talk about... uh... Chris from Baseball Pods, uh, he was the first person to submit his uh, underdog keeper, and that was uh, Taylor Ward, who he selected in the 35th round. And I got to be completely honest, like I I do a decent amount of 50-round draft and holds during the winter and obviously do dynasty rankings and play in dynasty and – I didn't spend any time this off season um, turning over stones on Taylor Ward. So this was a complete blind spot for me coming into the year. Yeah. I mean, going into the season, that outfield looked like it was completely blocked for Ward. I mean, there was Trout, Adele, uh, you know, Marsh and Upton at the time. And uh, I mean, where was the avenue to playing time? He definitely has always kind of flashed some skill at the major league level, especially last year, he started to actually perform. Uh, he's he for a long time was trending like as a quad A player, player who just absolutely just crushes triple A, but just can't really find his footing at the major league level. Uh, but you know, I mean, we've seen what he's doing this year. Uh, I obviously, I would say that he's not likely to continue to hit over 300 with and you know have a 570 slugging percentage. And you know, since he's returned from his latest injury, he's he's starting to like fall back down to earth a little bit. Uh, but I mean, there is legit pop, not a boatload, not like crazy, you know, double plus power or anything, but it's I think healthily above average raw. And you know, he's gets to a lot of it in games. Uh, and he has a fantastic approach. He's always had a very good approach, but you know, he's actually been even more patient this year than ever before his swing rate is just 37 percent this year uh what i think a lot of the same things i said about some of the other players you know i think that there's a chance that the league adjusts to toward and especially his passivity his passive approach and how he adjusts back to that will determine i think his full upside but 
I think there's a sneaky like 260, 270 hitter with 20, 25 home run power here. Yeah, I I think I I had to do my update to uh, the dynasty rankings. I think I like submitted it basically right before Ward uh, sort of started cooling off, and so uh, just an impossible guy to rank for dynasty like after two months, right? Like you just want so much more data. Uh, where'd you make, ha- where'd you end up going with him? Uh, like in the in the fifty to hundred range. Um, it, for OBP, I, OBP, yeah. I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly like. I just, a, I there. He ch- like everything that you would look for in terms of like is regression coming? Like is this BS? Like he checks a ton of the boxes. Obviously, the the league still has time to adjust to him, but. I, I don't know. I it's just uh it could just have been a crazy two months and then we look up next year in March and he's going at like pick two hundred in redraft leagues or something like that that could happen too. But I mean if he if he's just hitting top third of this lineup with with Trout and Otani and getting on base at like a three fifty, three sixty clip, I mean I think there could be a lot of good there. I think that's a very realistic expectation too. And uh, so, yeah, I think in OBP, someone I would probably put, pump Ward up into the top 100. Uh, I think from I have to look at where my rank, I ranked him. But I ranked him around like 150, I think one 130, 150 uh, for just standard five by five. So he definitely is a player who gets a boost in OBP. Uh, I mean, part of its approach base, you know, he hit he, he is just incredibly patient. One of the more patient players in baseball. Uh, how long that he maintains that uh we'll see but he's always been pretty patient and he's always uh so you know yeah like like you said i think ward is one of those players that all of us all of us who do the rank two rankings have a lot of trouble trying to pin a value down on him and uh and try and figure out what he'll what he'll be moving forward uh because we've seen him dominate triple a and just not find success in the major leagues a lot and uh I know. Yeah, I mean it's 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 tough to say where it's going to go, but I do think uh, Chris, easy easy call, great call there, getting Taylor Ward uh, as an underdog, uh, who he took in the thirty fifth round. All right, our next guest is a second uh, guest from Prospects Live, uh, Eddie Almaguer. How are you doing, Eddie? What's up, boys? Good to be back. I feel like just uh, right. just yesterday we were talking about Tommy Edmond on here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that the fan favorite. Uh, love, love me some Tommy Edmond. Um, you took another, uh, I don't know, similar-ish type of fantasy contributor if it all breaks right, uh, and the second undrafted uh, underdog selection in Asturi Ruiz, uh, which I think is a, it's fun to kind of point this out. Uh, Christopher Morell, we talked about earlier, Asturi Ruiz now. Like this is how uh, big of breakouts these guys have had this year, where they went completely undrafted in a twenty-team, forty-round dynasty startup draft. Uh, Eddie, at what point did you add Estrue Ruiz uh, to your roster? I think it was uh, first week of May. It was like a three-dollar ad, and yeah, I honestly didn't think much of it. I just thought, hey, this guy's popping. I'll just kind of tuck him into my roster and, and see what's up. Um, and I was, I was, as I knew the. You know the underdog deadline was approaching. 
I gotta be honest, you know, Tommy Edmund, Tommy Edmund, I lucked out with him. He was a pretty easy fan favorite call. I was struggling hard with this underdog, and, and I was weighing um, five different players. I think it was uh, Ruiz, DL Hall, Kyle Harrison, Brendan Donovan, even even Hunter Dozier. Right? Um, no one really popped for me in those later rounds, to be honest. Uh, but ultimately, I went with Ruiz uh, for a couple of reasons. One, the proximity. You know, he's he's right there. I'm still. I'm still trying to gun for it, either win this year, and if not, certainly co- you know go back into the fold next year. So um, his proximity helped. Um, I figure, you know what? If t- you know, I don't, I don't buy the power at the level that he's showing right now, um, but I think at the very least, he might be a 20 steel guy, 25 steel guy if he gets 400 at bats uh, in the majors. So that's value in, in, in our in a league as deep as ours. Um, so ultimately, I think there's a sort of safe fantasy floor to have. Um, I really have no idea what this looks like every day, though. Um, primarily because one of the, I don't know if the work is concerning, but uh, in, in in AAA where we have a little bit of data that we were able to pull for for uh, within our leaderboards, his average exit velocity is about 80 miles per hour, and that's like near the absolute bottom of the barrel. Uh, I'm at 85 miles an hour, 85.8. Okay, so average exit velocity, but okay. I mean, it, it's you know how many, you know how many balls and plays? You know how many balls and plays you got for that? That's 32. Just, I'm not sure. 32 okay so so then I, I'll, I'll go with yours because we're at 30 with ours and i feel like he's been stuck at that at that mark for a little bit on our end so that's a little bit you know what 85 i'll take that 100 because that, that's a kind of a huge difference from 80 to 85 mm-hmm. um ultimately though uh, i'd be curious to hear what your take guys is on ruiz to me i've been saying okay if i can get you know in a typical season 250 10 home runs 25 steals I'm happy. The upside he's showing right now has got people salivating. I don't know if he's going to hit that, but that's kind of where I'm going with it. And it's it's risky. I, I didn't love choosing a prospect as an underdog, but I felt like I'm, if I'm going to choose one, give one was up with upside. It's kind of what was I went with. Yeah, I'm actually writing an article at Baseball Prospectus this week, and one of the players I'll be highlighting is Estuary Rees, uh, partly because we do have his AAA data now, uh, at least part it's not a huge sample you know 32 balls in play but the average exit velocity is 85.8 miles an hour over that period his hard hit ratio is 21.9 percent uh he makes a lot of like bad contact <laughs> a lot of very weak contact and uh like pop-ups or ineffectual fly balls um it's not great um i think one reason probably why your exit velocity was so low is because they were counting bunts and I think that's the thing that we need to talk about with Esther Ruiz is because his speed is real. It's very real. Um, there's a reason why he has so many stolen bases. You know, it's like, like 45 stolen bases right now. Uh, it's wild. And he utilizes that speed throughout his game. He has 10 bunt singles this year. Uh, and, you know, that I think will help alleviate some underlying swing and miss because there is some underlying swing and miss in his game. Um, it's being masked a little bit because he barely swings his swing rate is 40 percent this year he's been incredibly patient uh and you know that said you know i think he'll get on base i think he's gonna run uh i don't think he's gonna hit for a huge average but i don't think it's gonna be as low as maybe some think i I think he can be like a 250 260 hitter at the major league level I don't know if he's going to hit for a boatload of power, but I definitely think that the outcome you talked about, you know, 250, 260, 10 homer, 10 plus home runs, 25, 25 stolen bases is very possible. Uh, and, you know, there's mixed reviews on his defense, but I think that his speed should probably play even if he's still learning the outfield. And, you know, hell, 
260, 10, and 25, that does sound very eerily similar to some years that we've ha- seen from Tommy Edmund. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I get more. I don't know about you guys. I've, I've gotten more questions about Asterio Ruiz oh than gosh. any other player in the past like two weeks. Yeah. And <laughs> it's always some version of, is this legit? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you can't. Like, it's almost like uh, him going to the PCL. Like, it just doesn't mean anything to me. I don't know. Like, it's just such a crazy hitter environment there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think what I've decided is I think he is more likely to be an everyday player than not. And as long as that happens, the speed makes him a fantasy guy. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think there is some pop there. I mean, he even though his average uh, his average exit velocity doesn't like jump off the page uh, and take this with a heavy grain of salt, but in Albuquerque, which is like 5,000 plus feet above sea level, he did hit a ball 444 feet. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's obviously aided a bit by the air there, but he does have some pop and uh, he does lift. That's a good thing. You know, he lifts. So I think he'll get some more home run power than he probably actually has in terms of like raw, if you know, I don't know if I don't really want to say that his game is necessarily going to play above his raw, but I think that there's going to be sneaky home run specific power in that bat. Uh, but I think the quality of his contact and that swing and miss is going to be a heavy weight on, you know, I guess his, how effective he'll actually be and how much average he'll provide, how much on base ability he'll provide. Given uh, real quick, uh, I'll pick your guys brain real quick. Given the guys I was uh, mulling over, would you have gone with Ruiz or or gone with someone else? So again, it was Dio Hall, Kyle Harrison, Ruiz, Brendan Do- uh, Brendan Donovan, and uh, Hunter Dozier. Knowing that we also have the rising star down the line you know, for those prospects. You know, I, I definitely understand why you would be wary of taking someone like DL Hall or you know, Kyle Harrison with this pick. You know, pitching prospects, right? There's no such thing. So. Uh, and, you know, we've seen D.L. Hall have, you know, bouts of injuries over the years. He'll probably arrive this year at some point and probably flash crazy stuff because he has crazy loud stuff. But the command is still a question. And I still am, I still have concerns about his health. And, I mean, Kyle Harrison, he's really popping. He's hit a little bit of a speed bump in double A, but he's still so young. I think he's very much a legit left-handed arm. The emergence of his changeup has really made him, I think, a complete pitcher. He would have been, I think, the player I would have been most tempted by. But I think that for the purposes of this designation, I actually think Ruiz is the better pick, even though I do actually probably – I rank Harrison higher than Ruiz. I would take Ruiz with this pick because of his proximity. Yeah, I, I would have – like in any way possible, just getting a, a big league hitter who, when this kicks in next year, Ruiz will be a big league hitter. Just a big league hitter kind of in this age range was by far the best way to go. I felt with this underdog selection. So I would have, I would have done the same thing. And I think that it wouldn't be crazy to like, I think you could squint and if everything goes right with Ruiz, I mean, he could be like a 270 hitter with 20 plus home runs and 40 plus home runs. I, I, think I feel that like the, the best case scenario to me is like that peak Jonathan VR season um, mm-hmm. yeah. with the Brewers from like, what was that, seven years ago? Whatever. Yeah, um, yeah that's actually a, a good call out. I think that's pretty close to on point with what I think he could do. Like, that's crazy. 99th percentile outcome, probably, but I mean, it's possible. 
and he could have a similar career with like the ups and downs and stuff. But I mean, I think I think it's a it's a solid pick, Eddie. I uh, really yeah. appreciate you joining us. Anything you want to pump up before we let you go? Uh, nah, in about uh, I think uh, depending on when this goes out, recording on Wednesday in exactly a week, we're doing the prospects live mock draft. Um, the the MLB draft where we have 29 other GMs jump on. So do, we're doing only the first round this year. But uh, James, you're you're representing the Brewers, so excited to have you back once again and just tune in if you're a fan of the draft or even you know kind of getting into the fypd mode start getting to know some of these names are gonna be hearing about very soon absolutely man well uh have a good rest of your day dude all right boys thanks eddie all right now we're gonna try to add jeff ponce to the stream he said he's at a ballpark with bad <laughs> uh service so we'll see how this goes <laughs> hey jeff uh we are coming to you can you hear us I don't know. Um, <laughs> I told him we'd be going to him, uh, and he's there, but he does not have a, a image. Um, so maybe I'll just let him know that we we couldn't hear him. Um, but Jesse, do you want to? Let's touch on your your pick, uh, sure. Ezekiel Tovar, who uh, was a thirty sixth round selection, and you had the choice. Basically, you could do Tovar as an underdog, or you could do Tovar as a rising star. Uh, do you want to kind of go into the, the thought process there? Yeah, I kind of alluded to it earlier. Uh, I was concerned that I do think Tovar arrives soon. I think he'll, I don't, I wouldn't say he's going to arrive this year, but I think he'll arrive early next year. And I think he ex- exceeds rookie eligibility next year. And if I had designated him as a rising star, as soon as he exceeded rookie eligibility, I would have had to replace him with someone else. And he would have been exposed to a poacher draft the next year. So this was me being able to protect him from being poached for a longer period of time, basically. And, um, you know, I really do think he was by far my best option. Um, there are a couple other actual prospects uh, that I could have also, that I can also take as rising stars that I was considering um, Mason Wynn, for example, was a player I was considering. Um, but, you know, I think Tovar is on the 40-man roster. He's going to arrive in hidden course field. Uh, I think the one thing that I saw this offseason with Tovar uh, that I saw analysts do throughout the industry, say they they were downplaying his power uh, all offseason, despite the fact he was flashing. He, even though he crashed and burned in the AFL, he was flashing that power. And he flashed that power last year. There's legit pop in the bat. Uh, you know, he had, a, he has a hundred, he has, he often will get exit velocities over 110 miles an hour. Uh, it's, I think, very comfortably above average power, raw power, maybe potentially plus raw power here. Uh, and obviously he's getting to a lot of that in games right now. You know, he's hitting two, eight, 318, 394, 562 with 13 homers and 16 stolen bases. But the biggest thing with Tovar this year his his approach has just dramatically changed. You know, the, he's not, he's showing a lot more play discipline. Uh, it's not just that he's not swinging as much, which was crazy. I mean, last year's swing rate was over 60%. <laughs> That's just like untenable for, but you'll often see that for prospects in a ball. Uh, but this year swing rates down. He's, but he's specifically not chasing like breaking balls out of the zone. Uh, not nearly as much. That said, there is definitely underlying swing and miss there. And I think the funny thing is that maybe that's the weakest part of his game is his hit tool. Like where that ends up, I think will determine his ultimate upside. Uh, I think that the, there's a big gap between where it is right now and where it may be in the future. I think he potentially has an above average hit tool, 
due to his speed, the quality of his contact. And he does have solid bats of all ability, even though there is some swing and miss in his game. Um, and there's, of course, plus speed. So I, I really see that him as a potential 2020 player in course field. I mean, even if there's swing and miss in his game, his average will play up in course field because everybody's average plays up in course field. And I mean, he's a, he's a very high floor player because he's like a slam dunk shortstop. I mean, he's a fantastic defender. So um, I really liked Tovar as like a safer prospect that maybe doesn't have the absolute upside of some other prospects around him, but uh, you never know because course field can, could amplify him to be crazy. There's a reason why the Rockies, brought in Jose Iglesias to kind of just be a placeholder because they have that much faith in Tovar. They assigned him directly a double A at 20 years old. I, I'm a big fan. I mean, I've been a big fan for some time, but uh, I'm, you know, I, I really do want think that he'll arrive next year and just impress. And I really want to ha have that option to keep him and protect him from poaching. That's why I decided to select him as an underdog. Yeah, I think the high floor aspect there uh, makes him a a really strong option here. I think uh, like the two things I was trying to go away from was just I, I did want to kind of limit risk um, mm -hmm. at the underdog spot, and I think Tovar he's right on that timetable. And you're totally right about um, people maybe overreacting. Like I I overreacted to. Uh, just kind of the combination of what he did at high A in the Arizona Fall League. And I was stunned that the Rockies had seen enough in those two stints to send him to double A. He had um, a huge spring, too. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I think, uh, I mean, he's probably a top 20, top 15, maybe even top 10 prospect at this point. Where, where do you, uh, where do you think he falls? I had him at 28 being of the month. Um, it's obviously things have changed since then. We've seen graduations, you know, player performances are going up and down. Um, I think he's definitely trending that way. Um, I'm probably not pushing him top 20 yet, even though obviously I've protected him and I like him that much. Um, I will say that I would prefer him as an underdog to other put players that would rank ahead of him. Like I prefer player. And we, you just talked about this. I think that I want to try for this specific selection. I want to have a, a play. If I'm going prospect, I want a player that has proximity and, and less risk. So I would prefer him to players like Jordan Lawler or who I would rank way above him, right? Because Lawler's so far away and you never know. I mean, yeah, he's killing a ball, but, and he has big tools, but we've seen that. We've seen players destroy a ball and just fall apart later. Right, because as you said, there's a big gap between low A and double A. And once I want to see a player that's destroying double A before I'm like com pot committing myself to retaining keeping them, and that's sort of what we're seeing with Tovar. All right, uh, we have our so next guest, Ken. Uh, Ken, is there? Uh, Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. You? My allergies are a bit high, but. Um... Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Really appreciate you hopping on again. Uh, so your selection for the underdog, uh, I believe, was the only relief pitcher or at least guy who we know is a relief pitcher. I'm sure maybe one or two of these guys end up as relief pitchers. But uh, David Bednar, 
who you selected in the 17th round of the startup draft. Uh, what was the process in terms of making that call? Um, well, for this for this pick, um, because this pick can be traded, as I understand it, a little bit easier. Um, I was willing to be a little bit riskier with it and go with upside. And just based on the cost to acquire closers in the um, in this draft season, um, he seems to have gotten to a point in the Pirates' uh, pen that he's he's the closer, he's the guy, and he's he's looking to me at least like he's one of the better relievers around. Um, he can really push the heat up there. K rate's been really good this year, over 12 per nine, uh, 12, 12 per nine, and um, he's over over 11 for his career at that. Um, he's also started to uh, to go two innings at a time. So in the last two months, he's gone at least two innings six times, uh, which is quite attractive to me. Um, low whip. Um, and he offers three three pitches for a closer, which is a little bit rare. Um, obviously, his fastball is used the most, and it's a really, really good fastball with some, some pretty good movement. Um, but he also has a curve that he gets good whiffs on uh, and, and also a, a split finger that he also gets really good whiffs on. And I was a bit surprised to see that he's, he's reduced the um, – usage of that pitch this year a little bit um even though he's he's getting more keys with it than he did last year more whiffs ken is you know with bednar i think we're there's at least going to be a lot of teams coming to call with the pirates uh ahead of the deadline to see what it would take to to pry him loose uh would you view a trade as a good thing or a bad thing um, without necessarily knowing where he's going to go? Um, I did read a little bit on that and I found some stuff on some, some pirates and sites saying what would make sense to actually do that. Um, why the rest of the pen isn't strong enough to put up a closer like this. And if they want to eventually become competitive, I think they're closer than people might think. Um, why would it make sense to actually trade him? And I also think he's good enough that if he's traded to a team that needs a closer um, and there are going to be some teams competing for the playoffs um, that don't have a top flight closer, that he could still become that closer. But like I said, I, I was a little bit more willing to take on some risk with this pick, uh, with the upside that I could have at least a top 10 closer on my hands for, for a number of years. Do you guys think I, I I mean I know that you know relievers are risky uh inherently, but I mean I'm looking at this list of our underdogs and I don't really know if David Bednar's riskier than I mean I, I think he's less risky than Sixto Sanchez. I don't know if he's riskier than like Tyler McGill or Nick Lodolo or Uri Perez or Spencer Strider. I mean, I think it do you guys think in Dynasty that relievers are like the the very best ones guys like like bednar at this age is are they undervalued in some circles i know they weren't undervalued in the startup draft um sorry i can't hear jesse jesse i think you mentioned <laughs> i'm muted all right my <laughs> bad. um i think the problem is the reliever value so it fluctuates so much so when they are actually have secure roles Yes, they're often undervalued because you can't presume that they are going to ha be a closer next year or even in like a month. Um, and that's my thing is I just they're always going to be riskier um, than anybody. Uh, even Josh Hader is is not a, like an automatic closer. 
I don't think he is. And uh, I mean, that's scares me. Like what if Hader has like a rough month and like he gets dealt because for some reason, and all of a sudden he's a lefty arm kind of thing. I, I just, I'm very much scared of closers. I probably undervalue them for that purpose, but we just seen too many closers that were elite go through rough times, um, you know, struggle, get removed from the role. Um, and it's just, it's frightening. I mean, Edwin Diaz, I think, is a prime example. So while he's been good a lot and he's been very good this year, it's just scare, scary that a player like that could conceivably just fall apart. Yeah, those are all really good points. And I, and I definitely feel like that could happen. And I don't typically invest high, uh, highly into closers. Um, but in my time in, in Dynasty, I've, I've had closers for more than four years, certainly. Yeah. Um, certain ones that are really good. Um, and the flip side of that is, as you kind of mentioned, some guys that may not even be playing by the time this contract expires. And those are some of the other guys I was looking at on my team. Uh, Drew Jones, who hasn't even been drafted yet. Drew Jones. Um, I, just, I, was I just love him. But um, what are the chances that he even performs for me under that under that four-year contract? Marcelo Meyer, who ended up trading for um, for JT Real Muto, but another another piece that that's that's quite a long wait for him. I think. I mean, it's probably not next year, possibly sometime in in twenty twenty four. And then Taj Bradley was another guy I was looking at who I I think has some really great stuff and a really high high upside, bright future. But there's probably as much risk in a, in a, any pitcher at Double A um, throwing that hard and, and, and coming up and just seeing what what they ultimately become to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very fair. I mean fun fun discussion and i mean i think david bednar he's he's on the short list of relievers you'd want most in in dynasty but i mean who knows who knows what happens at the deadline who knows if he if he stays healthy but i think uh you'll you certainly won't regret that pick if he if he can stay relatively healthy um so really appreciate you joining us ken any anything you want to anything you want to plug any any final thoughts on on your team in in the highlander um well, at Dynasty Guru, we're trying to update um, our top 200 prospects. Um, so that'll be coming out sometime around the All-Star break. It's a collaborative piece. So there's a number of writers that contribute to that. And um, I always find it to be quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of fun with everybody's input into that list. Um, I'm trying to put together a list uh, of, of draft prospects as well before the draft. Uh, I don't get as, much, as many views as uh, as many looks at those players before as some of the other people in the industry, but um, I do put quite a bit of time into those uh, into those lists. So that's something I'm working on now. Awesome, man. Well, really appreciate it, and uh, have a good rest of your week. All right, thanks for having me on. Thanks a lot, Ken. All right, so uh, we have another guest waiting. A little bit ahead of schedule, but I don't want to keep Drew waiting too much longer. Hey, Drew, how you doing, gentlemen? What's good? Hey, great, great to have you back. Uh, We have briefly touched on your underdog selection. We were talking uh, with Smata earlier. Uh, You know, he he was sort of. I wouldn't say lamenting uh, trading him, but um, you know, Gunnar Henderson was one of his better options before he did trade him. Uh, and you obviously were the one who acquired him. Uh, do you want to kind of walk us through those trade talks? Were you doing those specifically with your underdog selection in mind, or did you just really want Gunnar Henderson? 
Well, to be totally fair, no. I did not do them with the underdog selection in mind. And while we're talking about Mr. Smata, jumping in and talking about Gunnar Henderson when he traded him to me, that's hardly fair. I think that's, uh, you know, criminal, frankly. Another crime, I just keep getting shafted by the, by this league. The rules, people talking about my picks before I can come on and talk about them. It's just something every time. I'm here. Something every time. But, no, uh, the trade actually for – for you at home, and if you guys don't remember, was Starling Marte for Henderson and Mayo. There were a couple of smaller pieces in there as well, but I got Mayo and Henderson. And then looking at underdog selections, you know, there were two other guys, uh, Jerks and Profar and Edward Cabrera, that kind of jumped out as being, you know, worthy of a selection. But neither were really at the level of Gunnar Henderson in terms of dynasty value to me personally. Was a pretty simple choice. Yeah, I agree with that too. I mean, there are a few players, few prospects who have ri- risen as much as Gunnar Henderson this year. I mean, I, obviously, he was well regarded coming into the year, but his approach has has improved by leaps and bounds. You know, less swing and miss. He's more patient. His play discipline has improved remarkably, uh, and now he's in Triple A <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. and one of the younger players in Triple A and you know, performing well already in AAA. I mean, his walk rate so far over his first 13 games, so teeny, teeny sample, is 23.7% in AAA. Um, his walk rate on the year is over 20%. Uh, it's been a remarkable season for Gunnar Henderson, and, you know, I think there's, there's a legitimate case to be made that he could develop into, like, a plus hitter with plus power that plays in games. And while he's not, like, a burner – He's always shown an aptitude for stealing bases. So, you know, he has enough speed, I think, to steal base. So maybe double digit stolen bases to go with it. So, yeah, I mean, it's – and he's an Oriole. And, you know, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Orioles. So uh, hope, I'm hoping for the best in the organization. He's not going to be the type of Oriole that uh, is uh, – that, well – I mean, yeah, he's not going to be as impacted by the change in the wall because he's a left-handed bat, and left-handed bats thrive in Camden Yards. Exactly. Hey, that's a great way to say it, man. I had all of those notes written down. Uh, you ought to be named Smata for the way that you're talking about my guy. <laughs> so I was, uh, I was looking for some particularly damning stats earlier today, and cherry-picked these just to talk about with you guys. Can you tell me, over 2022, prospects that have a sub-18% K rate, a walk rate greater than 18, and an OPS of 970 or higher? Oh, man. Uh, Probably that's right. It's only Gunnar Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he's cut his K rate almost in half at Double uh, A before he got called up. Uh, you kind of hit it with the plate discipline. He's walking more, taking strikes early in the count that are kind of off the outside of the zone. So he's being really selective with what pitches he can actually, you know, do something with. And, you know, like you said, th- I think his speed score today when I was looking was maybe like a 7.7. And if a 10 is the best, that's really good. Defense is solid. I mean, why isn't he a shortstop long term? Fight me. Uh, the strikeouts are down. The offense is coming even more. The walks are there. The Orioles are going to be nasty. Hendo. <laughs> well, to me, the most interesting question with Gunner is just 
you know, how much longer would like, first of all, do you think he has any chance of coming up this year? Uh, I'll leave that to either of you. And then also just, if he just keeps doing close to what he's doing right now, I mean, would they, would their hand be forced? I mean, cause if, if he just stayed at AAA for the rest of the year and the stats kind of just stayed on this trajectory, he's going to be a top five prospect entering next year. And he's going to be getting drafted in like the top 200 and redraft leagues. Yeah. I, I think he's not coming up this year. I mean, there's no incentive for the Orioles to do that. Uh, but I do think that we could, we could have see, see similar hype with uh, him and Corbin Carroll, as we did with like Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Wood Jr. Obviously I don't think that Henderson's quite there from a tools perspective, um, but uh, I do think he'll be there probably hopefully starting opening day with the Orioles next year. Um, that would be my hope. I'd hope that the Orioles wouldn't do the cowardly thing and wait for, you know, two weeks, but you never know. Well said. Couldn't agree more. There's, really no incentive for the Orioles to bring Hendo up this year. So I, I don't see it happening. I'd love to see it happen, but I, it's just, it's so unlikely and it feels like it would be kind of counterproductive to their point. Um, yeah. I, I love the comparison with he and Carol to wit and J rod in the coming year. I think that that's going to be, uh, I was actually telling my brother, yesterday that if I had to pick a prospect that's not in it currently to be a top five prospect next year, it would be Henderson. So with you entirely friends with you entirely. (laughs) Well, before we let you go, Drew, is there anything you want to promote? Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, SP streamer elite memberships, $5 a month. Uh, My podcasting partner, Peyton Skinner and I just released our top 100 prospect rankings to those members today. Uh, it is a long time coming. I forgot many guys feel like a big idiot, but even still, I'm proud to have it done. Uh, ranking prospects is challenging. Do not envy anybody that does it. Um, yeah. That's cool. Uh, got command and control coming up. Talk about unheralded prospects at the end of the month. Uh, really appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Have a good rest Thanks of your week, lot, dude. Drew. Well, that was fun. Yeah, I, I mean, I think my counter to sort of what you guys were saying about uh, Gunner coming up is just what, you know, like nothing to be gained by bringing him up, I guess, technically, like just if you're just looking at it in terms of service time and stuff, but uh, could a player like that stagnate? Could a player like that um, getting his feet wet against big league pitching this year, prepare him to be, a catalyst for the team next year if they want to push uh, up over you know 75 80 wins like when they have Grayson Rodriguez on hand Adley Rutschman fully adjusted to big league pitching like I, I I could see some cases for bringing them up this year maybe maybe but you could also say that well you could use spring training as the opportunity to get that get his feet wet against you know big league arms and uh I don't know I just Knowing the Orioles, having followed them for years and years and years, I think there's a very slim chance he arrives. <laughs> uh, it's very much a frugal organization that is just unlikely to let go of that extra year of service time lightly. Um, I, mean, we, I think that had Adley Rushman not been injured, we probably would not have seen him on opening day for some reason. Um, you know, we weren't going to see Garrett or Grayson Rodriguez despite his domination in AAA. 
prior to his injury, I don't think we would have seen him until, you know, after the Super 2 at the very, you know, I just don't, I think they're going to be very cautious with their prospects. This is a team that is getting built to be a competitive team soon. And, uh, you know, they're going to want to try and maximize that contention window. Uh, So I think they're going to pump the brakes. Plus Grayson Rodriguez, we mentioned that, you know, whether he can be a shortstop or not, I think they're going to try and explore his defense as much as possible at AAA. He's actually seeing a little more time at shortstop this year in AAA. You know, he had moved to be primarily a third baseman at AA. But so I don't know. I think there's a lot of reasons to keep him there. But I mean, if you're an Orioles fan, you have to be excited about what's coming. Um, Obviously, there's been a lot of very rough years, but I think there's going to be a it's going to be a very exciting team next year. I I mean, I agree with everything you said in terms of just like they're they're probably not bringing them up this year. Uh, if it were me, Adley Rutschman would have been up last year. Grayson Rodriguez would have been up maybe last year, and certainly this year. And like, I just think then you have Henderson up like sometime this summer, and I just think things would feel nicer and feel more exciting and like all the players would be uh, just loving the fact that they were able to play their way to the majors and not have these restrictions placed on them that have nothing to do with how they're playing. Um, I just, I wouldn't want to be the team that's six months behind when a guy should be getting promoted uh, every single time, which seems to be the way the the Orioles are. But I, I mean, I get it. Uh, I, I understand what they're doing. Um, so let's quickly catch up on uh, Jeff. Jeff uh, was un- unable to make it. He said that his service at this game is absolutely terrible. Um, but he took Kyle Wright, uh, who uh, he took in the 26th round of the startup draft. Uh, I'm guessing that was a pretty easy call. I mean, it, I don't think you would have any trepidation about keeping Wright. I'm not sure exactly who his uh, other options were. Uh, I mean, arguably, Wright is the best underdog selection, arguably. Um, I know he's a pitcher, but I am fully buying into this breakout. I think, I mean, his stuff has taken a massive step forward, um, his changeup in particular, and uh, I'm on board with the Kyle Wright love. I love that. I love that you are are looking at him as maybe the, the best. Um, I mean, I, if... So if you think he's the best underdog uh, and you're on board with the Kyle Wright love, are you viewing him as uh, someone that could be an SP1 uh, heading into drafts next year? No. <laughs> no, I don't think he could be an SP1, but um, I think he's going to be a player who's going to be taken in the top 100 and redrafts for sure. Um, I think there's a chance that he could you know, touch like the the fifties and sixties sort of similar to what we saw with like uh, Logan Webb. I guess he was kind of creeped up there in, in preseason. Um, but I would think he's probably going to be like a seventies guy in redrafts. Um, you know, I think in general, it's still really early to say, but you know, his command's really taking a step forward this year. Uh, and like I said, his changeup's been just otherworldly. Uh, it has a weighted on base percent. Weighted on base average against of just 174. Um, it's missing bats. Uh, it has a fantastic uh, separation from a solid separation, but just fantastic depth and run. Uh, and of course, you know, his two seam fastball, which he's leaning into pretty heavily, has 
been fantastic as well. It has, uh, you know, more depth and run than it's ever had. His stuff's just getting a lot more movement. And it's been vital because forever his primary pitch, the pitch has basically been his most consistent pitch over the years has been his curveball. And now all of a sudden it has support. And uh, yeah, as long as he can throw strikes and continue to do so, uh, I am on board. I think Kyle Wright will be a guy who continues to rise and may even for dynasty purposes, potentially push top 50 by the end of the year. I think, I think that, that he could do that. Do you uh, still prefer Max Freed to Kyle Wright for Dynasty? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely prefer Freed. I mean, he's safer, uh, more established. You know, he's also obviously taking a step forward this year, uh, has much better command, uh, and I think he's more likely to go deep in games, get you wins and quality starts, which you're trying to get in a lot of, lot of leagues, you know, especially in quality starts league. I see leagues, I think Freed is a guy who's probably woefully undervalued. I, I've in my last rankings update, I had right at, I believe I had him at 87, um, and I had Freed at 38. I'm off to go look. I may be confusing updates, but uh, uh, I do prefer Freed. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I just, I mean, the track record is is probably the big separator there. But um, I mean, that's a it's a good one too to have two two pitchers that age uh, who are clear top 100 guys. And I mean, Jeff's next best option was maybe Rowan C. Contreras. Um, so a uh, pretty easy call going Kyle Wright, who he got with the 501st overall pick of the startup. So that's a, that's a great pick by Jeff. Uh, too bad. We couldn't have him on. Um, our, all right, let's let's uh let's go to Chris Fargus's pick. Uh, he took Marcelo Meyer, uh, who he traded for, uh, from Ken, from Ken, um, and Ken originally selected Meyer in the thirteenth round. Um, so this is this is where it kind of gets interesting with the prospects because, like, you know, under best case scenario, he's got Meyer in the minors for all of next year under his control. I mean, is there, do you see any chance he's up in 2024? <sighs> no. Yeah, I don't really either. Um, no, I think 2025 he'll. So, be. so that's two years where he's in the minors and you got him. And then let's say that he is awesome as a rookie. And that's maybe the final year that you have him uh, without having to use a, franchise spot on him like i just didn't want to go that route on a prospect because then you're either protecting him with one of your top three um, keeper spots that turn over every year or you're risking losing him in that highlander draft well you could then select you could then or protect fan him with favorite, a fan favorite. Yeah, yeah yeah that would be the idea i think that's sort of my idea with tovar is that you piggyback the underdog into a fan favorite um hopefully obviously if things fall right and how safe do you think uh meyer is as as a prospect when if you're kind of factoring that in maybe you have him for six years if you if you are able to pull that that move off um you know i think he's fairly safe i think the big question is how much power he'll end up getting to uh i actually saw him when he was down in charleston and he actually had a very good week that week um but i don't I mean, there, there's not a boatload of raw there yet, uh, but 
he's got a beautiful swing and I think he'll get there. He's got a great frame. Uh, he's a smooth defender. I think he's for a, for a teenager. He's got, he is probably the, one of the higher floors of any teenage prospect out there. Uh, and you know, he plays, I mean, I guess if you care about trade value and it, when you were talking about these designations, trade value doesn't matter as much because it's so difficult to trade these players. But I, I think that Meyer is a player whose trade value is just going to go up and up and up. You know, he's going to ride that hype that comes with most like pros- Red Sox prospects. And uh, uh, I think he's going to be a player that conceivably could look a lot like Corey Seager ultimately as a major leaguer, maybe with less power. I mean, obviously Seager's developed a lot of raw um as a major leaguer, but I think he could be that. Obviously, that's a, probably a best case scenario outcome um, for Meyer. But I mean, he went out and got him. Yeah, this was a uh, they they actually traded um, for Meyer. Uh, Fargus went out and traded for Mark Meyer right before the deadline to have the ability to protect him with this uh, designation. And you know, I think that by the time the designation runs its course, you know, hopefully I guess for Red Sox fans, for Meyer owners, he will be a player who's already being talked about as a top 50 dynasty player. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways that this could play out. Um, I was a bit more risk averse than this, um, but I, I, I get it. I mean, if, if you get him with the fan favorite after the underdog um, and he is Corey Seager with better health, uh, then obviously that's a slam dunk pick. Uh, DJ Short uh, selected Matthew Liebertor as his underdog, who he took in the 19th round of the startup. And I remember we, we had DJ on uh, about a month ago. And he was uh, struggling for a good fan favorite pick. Ended up with going with Alec Bohm, who uh, was drafted late enough where he could have been his underdog pick. Um, but looking at his options, you know, I think Libertor is is fine there. Uh, what, what what's your take in terms of Libertor just going forward, rest of this season, what you've seen from him so far against uh, big league hitting? Oh, you know, I think I've always been a mind that he's basically a very safe four or five starter. And I still kind of am there. Uh, he'll flash mid rotation, like three upside, I think. And, you know, just I just don't think the stuff in general is is loud enough. Ultimately, you know, he, he has a low to mid nineties fastball. It's average 92 miles an hour at the major league level. And it's averaged about that at the, in the minors as well. It has bad shape. I think the fastball in general is going to get hit. Uh, I'm not a fan of his fastball, but you know, he does have three breaking balls that are all very solid. Um, you know, with his slider, his changeup and his curveball. the curveball was the one that, you know, he came out with as a prep. That was the big standout pitch and you know i think that his curveball has some similarities with a lot of very you know high quality curves um it's probably not a huge bat misser ultimately uh you know it's a low low to mid 70s pitch with a lot of depth and movement but you know it's i think at the major league level it's not going to be a bat missing pitch ultimately not many pitches like not many curves like this 
are bat missing pitches, but it has shades of like Rich Hill there. Um, that's how good I think that curve could conceivably become. Um, but I don't know. I'm not, I've just never been a huge Libertor fan. I mean, if the command's there and his fastball's playing at the upper ends of his velocity, I think he looks fantastic. But too often he'll like sit around 90 with poor shape. And if the, if the secondaries aren't there, he gets hit around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you are spot on with, with all that. I mean, just hearing you kind of talk through the, the repertoire and then remembering that he's kind of a, a fly ball pitcher. Uh, I mean, it, it's nice that he's a Cardinal and it's nice that that's his home park. Uh, but there's, there's definitely going to be some ups and downs, uh, I think with, with Libertor. Um, and then, Eric Cross, uh, we, we just talked about uh, Chris Fargus selecting Marcelo Meyer. Uh, Eric Cross selected Jordan Lawler, who uh, I think is probably my highest ranked prospect to be selected with a underdog spot. Um, Mine too. Just a potential superstar down the road, uh, but there's there's risk there. Uh, and he's, you know, we talked about how far Meyer is away. Uh, Lawler's uh, at least as far away, probably. Um, maybe farther, honestly. Um, <laughs> maybe farther. I mean, he's out right now. He's rehabbing a back injury in the uh, Arizona Complex League. But uh, I don't know. Honestly, like he's actually shown more better bats of ball ability than Meyer, believe it or not, this year. Um, and that speed is very real i mean it's plus plus it's plus plus and uh i think it'll play i think the question is how obviously how the hit hit and power continue to develop um you know he's in the california league and we've got to take production in low a california league well with a grain of salt (laughs) yeah i mean it like the back issue it it's something i'd like him to to kind of put behind him um because you just you don't want that to be a thing that that kind of keeps popping up but he's a he's an excellent athlete uh for a for a 19 year old shortstop uh and like just the the physical uh improvements he's made since the draft um like he he's just he's got it all uh in terms of power projection speed like you said so i mean this could be like he could be the number one prospect in baseball someday and, and Eric could have him uh, basically sort of transferring from underdog to fan favorite at that point, if everything goes, goes perfectly. Yeah. I mean, I think that he, there's a lot of similarities. Obviously the hit tool is probably the biggest glaring difference between him and Corbin Carroll. Uh, they both have crazy speed. Uh, I think that, you know, he, we're going to see, Lawler hit in favorable environments throughout the minor leagues. I mean, Carroll's at Amarillo, and that's one of the more favorable, that's probably the most favorable double-A park in all of baseball right now. And uh, he's at R- Reno's triple-A affiliate. That's obviously, you know, bandbox. So it's, uh, he'll produce probably. So uh, again, tr- trade value is less relevant for these these purposes, but I think his trade value is just only going to be going up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially if he, if he gets right uh, and just kind of picks up where he left off, I think you're, you're dead on there. Um, Let's see. All right. We got Jordan Rosenblum. How you doing, man? Can you, uh, you're muted, Jordan. 
Hey James. Hey Jesse. How's it going? Hey. hey. I thought it was just the mute button. Um, I'm, yes, I'm missing yes. the trash can um, up in the corner. Ah, you used you to have. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. I have a new. I have a new aesthetic now. I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, last time I was on a stream with Jordan, he had a trash can on top of his little bookshelf in the back. Where? Are you, oh yeah. Where are you joining us from, Jordan? Uh, I'm in Finland. I I was in U.S. Uh, visiting family last week. And then I got coronavirus for my sister, so I'm just on the tail end of that recovering. Um, but don't worry, I'm I'm wearing a mask for all the listeners, so <laughs> you don't have to stress. <laughs> so uh, I think your your underdog pick was kind of hilarious to me, just given that your fan favorite pick was Joey Gallo. Uh, you turned around and made Stephen Kwan your underdog pick. So uh, from one yeah. from one end of the spectrum to the very other end of the spectrum there yeah yeah and uh i uh, i didn't get to defend myself to i think he, no. you guys didn't love my gallo pick um and thought i should have taken road on which i agree with but um i couldn't take road on but still i i was still thinking of gallo over road on so ultimately it was a fair criticism of, of me but i'm i'm interested in in how much he's going to benefit from the shift but yeah hopefully um i can argue my quan pick even better <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, obviously Quan got to off to a lightning fast start at the major league level, but he's you know slowed a lot, um, and he's kind of been the player I think a lot of us thought he'd be. Uh, do you see more upside in him other than like a you know a high average, low power, maybe a maybe some steals here and there type bat? Um, no, that sounds pretty, that sounds pretty accurate to me. I looked now, um, today in Fangrass auction calculator using depth charts, rest of season projection. Quan is like the 110th, 120th best uh, hitter. And I think, um, he, he doesn't quite play every day now. He still rests a lot versus, or but gets benched versus lefties. Um, but I think in the future, there's some room for growth just because I think he'll be good enough to play every day. Like I think defensively, he has pretty good scouting reports. His um, UZRs are good in the, in the major so far, and his like outs above average are like I think he's like plus one right now. That's that's really small sample, um, but I think it's you're looking at maybe a guy who could be like back end top hundred hitter in this, which has a lot of value in this format. Like I've been really stressed mm -hmm. finding at bats, and I think like ten homers and like ten to fifteen steals is is about what I'm looking for. So it's not necessarily that exciting, but it's still um, useful. Yeah, you know, Quan hasn't been a, a nothing against left-handed pitching when he is playing against lefties. He's hit 333. <laughs> um, yeah. It's very, it's a powerless 333. He's hit literally no extra base hits against left-handed pitching. But, uh, you know, I think that you're right that there may come a time that he does end up becoming a full everyday player again. And um, I think it's, I'm just, I just, I know that I saw we saw all those projections of like double digit home runs for Quan and um you know I personally just never saw it I don't see it still um he'll have he'd have to basically be like fully commit to lifting and pulling and I, I just don't think that's the player he'll ever be um I think but you know we've seen all the love for Luis Arraz lately and I think that what he's doing is very possible what Quan could do in the future, maybe even with a little more speed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I have some, uh, I have some, uh, I, I, I have this Jose Altuve is like 
some of his stats here. Um, but James, did you want to? I want to give you a chance to say some stuff first. If you don't <laughs> Wait, no, are you were you about to make a Jose Altuve, Altuve call, Colin? Here we go. Uh, I don't. No, I mean, do it. I don't want to get in the way of that. <laughs> um, yeah, or maybe I wanted, maybe I subconsciously wanted you to get in the way of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would not prevent you from doing that on the show. I, I think um, Altuve is a guy who's like 16 homers per 600 plate appearances for his career. And he's a, he's a guy that I thought of just kind of like the first guy that came to mind as a guy who doesn't have great exit velocities, but still can hit some over the fence. So his average exit velocity is like 87 miles per hour. Um, and his, uh, his fly ball percentage, Quan actually has a higher fly ball percentage than Altuve career, 36% versus 32%. But the big difference is Altuve pulls a lot of fly balls, so he's at 43%, and Quan is just at 30% this year. Um, so that would have to change. Um, but Quan was 40%, uh, above 40% in the minors in, in 2021. So that could be why he kind of – part of the reason why he uh, was able to like hit like 10 homers in the minors in, in 2021 – which is also the reason why I think Steamer has him at like uh, 11 homers per 600 plate appearances and why my, my projections have him even a little better. I think they have him at 16 or like it's kind of a rough estimate, like in the 14 to 16 range. And I think that that's maybe a bit bullish, but, but it, it's not that uncommon that you see you guys add some power. And I do think like I, I said 10 homers, 10 steals before. So I think I'm being um, – not too uh, bullish. I know, Jesse, we've talked about it before. You were more at like five, maybe? Five home runs, yeah, roughly. Five to ten. I think he could become. Um, you know, obviously, it's not even looking like that right now. Uh, but, you know, the type, his type of bats at ball ability, which is basically the best in baseball, you know, is, is a whiff rate just 7.2%, which is just wild. His zone <laughs> contact rate is 94.3%. Um, I mean, it's it's crazy. He's not he's not like David Fletcher. He's better than players like that, you know, because he has a legit approach to the plate and good plate discipline. So unlike a lot of high contact hitters, he's not a wild free swinger. So I thought like Luis Oraz is a pretty strong comp zone. I've always comped him to him uh, from way back. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. but Quan has more speed. So I think there's hidden upside here that, you know, it's actually maybe a, not a bad time to try and get shares of Quan in Dynasty because people may be off on him right now because he's sitting against lefties and he's really struggled at times this year. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised that um, he was kind of became like a buy high target in a way because I, I didn't realize how much he had really struggled. I, I was still had perceptions of him um, like the hype train full speed ahead. So I was surprised that he was even available. But but I think I, I also paid a decent price for him. It was like Josh Naylor straight up. Naylor has a pretty fantasy-friendly game. He has a lot more power than Quan, and he also has good contact skills. Um, but I, I looked since 2000, uh, minimum 200 plate appearances in a season. Uh, the Quan's contact rate, um, the percentage of swings he makes contact on, is 94%, and, and that, that ranks like 16th uh, out of everybody. So that's quite quite impressive. But then a lot of those guys are really not good um, that were ahead of him. So, like, you had Marco Scudero, uh, David Eckstein, uh, Juan Pierre, Placido Polanco. I'm just doing it off the top of my head. Uh, Cesar Isturiz. So a lot of these guys are like – well, Polanco had a couple of years where he, he hit, like, 15. Um, but a lot of these guys have, like, no – they're, like, no power guys. So 
Um, but yeah, in the end, I think if he plays every day in this format, I'll be pretty happy with him. My other choices were Carlos Carrasco and Pete Crow Armstrong. I think in another format, I think Crow Armstrong might have been the pick. Um, but just with no dedicated minor league spots um, and the premium on major league at bats uh, in this league, I, I just couldn't go with it, or I didn't want to go with a prospect here. And Carrasco, I really like too, but he's just old and pitchers like scare me. So I just thought, take the safe every day, boring at bat. Yeah, committing to three more years of Carrasco would have been uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, right, right, yeah. Well, I, Jordan, I really appreciate you joining us. I apologize. I, I, uh, should have we should have known uh that carlos Rodon had had already yeah. been traded uh no no that. <laughs> you know it's it's actually all good because i i, I jordan trades I, more than anybody yeah so. should not have assumed yeah. blindly that anyone <laughs> that you drafted was still on your roster <laughs> and uh i should have yeah. we should have probably mentioned something about the shift too with joey gallo um, yeah yeah i think the shift is is key to the argument but but i do think even since that that pick like Gallo has started being benched a lot more often and he's like hitting nine, getting pinch hit for by Jose, Jose Trevino's pinch hitting for him. Like so far it's, it's trending and um, it was good. It was good criticism. And, uh, <laughs> but, but I'm just trying to just look, I just don't want you to be constantly trying to trade your way out of that batting air patrol every year. Uh, but, yeah, it could be the case. It could be the case. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude, Any, anything you want to plug before I let you go? Um, no, I think Rotoballer, uh, uh, I guess Rotoballer, I am going to publish like contact rate isn't published for minor leaguers. So I think I'm gonna try to pull that data, like through whatever today or, or something and publish that as soon as I can. And um, same with the picture version, maybe I'll split it up in two articles, maybe one article, but I think that that'll be good. Awesome, dude. All, All right. right. Really appreciate Thanks. it. And uh, Thanks, guys. Have a good rest of the week. Yep. Yes, always a pleasure. Take care. All right. Uh, we have four more, no, five more picks to discuss. Uh, let's have our last guest on, and then we can rapid fire through the, yeah. the rest of them. Uh, Drew Sperling, are you there, Drew? Hello, guys. Hey, man. Uh, hey. Really good to talk to you, and really appreciate you joining us. Oh, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, Spencer Strider was your selection uh, for your underdog spot, 26th round of the startup. And I mean, that's a that's a great pick by you. Uh, actually, a couple Braves pitchers were selected in the 26th round, Kyle Wright and Spencer Strider and selected as underdogs. But uh, what did you see in Strider um, kind of entering the year? Did you envision this type of usage from him? And uh, how easy of a call is that for you to make? Um, at that point in time, other similarly uh, pedigreed prospects slash um, pitchers that are just breaking into the MLB were being selected. And I didn't necessarily have a strong feeling about him, but he was in the in the range of pitchers that I was looking at. Um, I'm definitely, I'm definitely surprised to see him already, um, starting games for the Braves this season. I, I wasn't anticipating that. Otherwise I probably would have selected him sooner. Um, but the K rate and the usage and, um, yeah, it's been a pleasant surprise after trading away several, um, other win now pieces, he kind of became a pretty apparent selection. There are a few other players I was considering, but 
I mean, the upside that I think he presents probably made it a pretty easy selection, I think. Yeah, his fastball, man, it's just lovely. (laughs) Uh, It's average 98 miles an hour with just 11 inches of drop. Uh, It's one of the nastiest fastballs on all baseball right now and uh he pairs it with that slider with with ha- which has huge depth as well um you know 51 percent whiffs on that slider uh through the course of the season you know how he'll continue to maintain his velocity in games which he has done a pretty good job of as a starter um and how his changeup, you know is able to kind of turn lineups over is I think remains to be seen, but we've seen pitchers thrive on fastball slider um, at the major league level. I mean, Denil Solomet is a recent example. Um, you know, hopefully Strider's arm doesn't fall off, <laughs> uh, but uh, he's just just such a unique player. He's got that you know big mustache and you know huge huge legs, and uh, hmm. I think a lot of even if he doesn't stick as a starter, I think he's you know very probably could conceivably be a closer very soon too. So uh, I re- I'd like the selection. He's got big upside. He's performing in the major leagues now. He will be part of your next content- competitive team since you are in rebuilding mode right now. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan. I think uh, the worst case, he probably maybe becomes like Tyler Matzik was, essentially. And um, this last start against San Francisco, his fastball was down a couple miles per hour. And he also uh, got hit pretty hard. But, I mean, that could be a coincidence. They are one of the better, like, contact teams in the league. So, I mean, there's definitely risk. But, yeah, uh, the upside, I I just – I felt like I didn't have anyone else that presented nearly as much upside as he has. So, Well – yeah, I mean, I think uh, just crossing our fingers basically for good health for for Spencer Strider. I mean, he does. Jesse mentioned the the fastball slider. Uh, I mean, it is one of those very very special fastball slider combos that that might be able to go sort of five and dive. Um, and then if the changeup comes along, um, then we're really cooking. So, uh, good luck with that pick, Andrew. Is there is there anything you want to uh, plug before we let you go? Um, I'm just uh, writing. Um... Uh, article currently for fantasy six pack called uh, dynasty directives. And it's just uh, from week to week, I'm covering each organization, looking at prospects. And the more I get into it, the more I'm starting to value proximity. I mean, depending on the league you play in, um, wasting a roster spot on someone that has multiple years, you know, until they can contribute, it can be a detriment at times, but um, anyway, I, I think that's it. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Not true. Uh, have a good rest of your week. Yeah. You too, guys. Thank you. All right. So, uh, we just got to hit these last four, uh, Michael Waterloo, uh, selected Nick Lodolo, who we took in the 13th round of the startup. Uh, I absolutely love Lodolo's stuff. Uh, hate the team context, uh, don't love the injury history so far this year, but I'm a, I'm a really big believer in Nick Lodolo having a very high ceiling if some things break his way. Yeah, I'm I'm very much in on Nick Lodolo. I mean, his stuff is ridiculous. His changeup is just silly. It just like it has 19 inches of horizontal break. It's it's wild. Uh, but 
you know, I think the big thing is health. Uh, yep. And uh, it hasn't just been this year. You know, he was limited last year. Uh, health has been a problem. Uh, he's, you know, I think a little unorthodox uh, in delivery and uh, his body type. Uh, it's, there's some like, you know, you but, don't, you, know, you don't want to, I mean, he's dealing with like the type of stuff you wouldn't want a six, six starting pitcher to no. be dealing with. Right. No, um, no. And like, we've seen, like when a guy that size, I mean, this kind of happened a little bit with like Forrest Whitley, but like when a guy that size gets kind of out of whack uh, mechanics wise, like then things could spiral sometimes. But um, like just the, the glimpses that we saw earlier this year before he went on the shelf, it's, I get, I get why Michael went this way. I mean, it's, it's risky yeah. from a health standpoint, but I mean, sky high ceiling, uh, Nick Lodolo. Yep. Agreed. Uh, Brett Sayer, uh, founder of the league, uh, had one of my favorite underdog picks, uh, Luis Garcia of the Nationals, um, who he took in the 27th round of the startup. And Garcia, I, th- I think, has looked great so far in the majors. Yeah, you know, there's he's hitting for legit pop. You know, he's, uh, he's driving the ball. Uh, he makes lots of contact. Uh, I think there's serious approach issues still um he's hyper aggressive right 60 percent swing rate this year very limited sample but uh, he's always been a very aggressive hitter um you know there i think that aggression will ultimately i it, it very well could get taken advantage of by major league arms but uh you know he's a perfect like post-hype sleeper because you know he's just 22 years old and he's not he's lost rookie eligibility you know he exhausted it in 2020 so Mm -hmm. uh he may be off a lot of people's radar still i I just don't he needs to be rostered everywhere and uh i i like especially in this format because like we've we've like pounded the table with this this entire uh show is that offensive you know offensive talent that is in the lineup every day um and can give you good high floor production is extremely valuable in this league and i think that at the very least Garcia can give you a high floor average. Um, he can do what Stephen Kwan does in a different way. And with, a, I think more upside, you know, I don't think there's a lot of raw speed there anymore, no. um, but uh, there is legit pop in that bat. And uh, I don't know. I, I have a national shirt on. I mean, <laughs> I'm really, I, I really want Garcia to kind of be a part of the next competitive national team it may not be anytime soon. Hopefully it's soon, sooner than we think, but uh, uh, I'm a big fan. Is he as bad defensively at shortstop as the advanced stats say he is? He's not good. Um, they're going to stick with him uh, that, even after all said his Escobar returns. Um, right. I mean, part of what I was going to say, like to kind of um, support what you were saying is just, I don't see any way that he loses an everyday job uh, as long as he's just doing the things that he's supposed to be good at. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I agree. I think that he's, you know, I think ultimately is a second baseman yeah. uh, at the major league level uh, for now this year, he probably will get a full look at shortstop to see if it's even possible. Um, I think they're going to find out it's not. <laughs> um, and he'll be a second baseman heading into next year. Right now, they have Cesar Hernandez basically being a placeholder at second base. You know, I, I could see Garcia 
getting some time at second base this year while Escobar enters the lineup at short. Um, you know, hopefully entering next year from a fantasy perspective, he may have eligibility at second and short. I think that's yeah. ideal. I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, he may just be shortstop only, but I do think he'll gain second base eligibility early next year. Yeah, I thought that was a, a nice sort of high floor. I'd, I'd say it's a high floor pick given um, for for how young Garcia is and sort of unproven over a large sample against big league pitching. I still think that's going to really pay off uh, for Brett. Uh, then Alex Sanchez uh, made Uri Perez his underdog, who he traded for um, before the deadline, and got he got Uri Perez from the itch. Uh, I'm going to dig up the specifics on that trade quick, but uh, this is one where it's it's a big swing, but the upside is so high that I I totally get it. Um, Let's see here. Uri Perez. So he got Perez and he traded Camilo Duvall and Dakota Hudson to the itch. That was also in April. So um, that was probably after Duvall uh, had lost the closer role ever so briefly. Um, see, closer roles, man, they just changed like like hats. I mean, they just changed all the time. Um, you know, I, I really like Yuri Perez. I was very much in, in hard early last year when he was just lighting up Stackhouse data from low A South. Then it was Southeast. Now it's back to being Florida State League. Um, I mean, I think that his fastball conceivably could become a plus plus or even better offering um, at peak. Uh, he has advanced command for someone that big. I mean, he's a giant what, six, eight, I believe. Um, I think his changeup is taking a step forward. Um, I'm not a huge fan of his curveball, personally. Uh, I think how that breaker ends up further developing, and maybe I'd love to see him add a slider or something in a a harder spectrum, um, because I'm not sure how he'll find big success in the major league level without a viable viable breaking ball. I I don't know. What's your opinion on his curveball? Because I'm it's kind of eh to me. Yeah, I I don't think it's a money pitch. Uh, he's just such a. He's so uh, young still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like he he's able to get double A hitters out. Like, I mean, he he could probably just work with his fastball for like the first three innings alone, and just and just work off that. Um, I that's another guy. Like, I mean, just he's not that far away from, from getting the, the test in the big leagues. I think it'll, it'll probably be a early, early next season type of thing, but um, could be if, if he just stays healthy, like that, that could be a really good underdog pick. He's still one of my favorite prospects. Uh, I, I, I ranked him really high early last year. Um, and then everyone caught up to me and passed me. <laughs> um, but uh, I are, still just love him. Are you a Uri Perez or Daniel Espino uh, as, as a better prospect? Espino, easy. Espino. I don't really think it's – I mean, I, it's pretty close to my rankings, and I think that may, there may be some at – I think Brett may actually prefer Uri to Espino, but Espino's upside with his fastball slider is ridiculous. I mean, he has other pitchers. He has a curve that he throws occasionally, and he has a changeup that are both viable enough to help him later in games, but that – all he needs is that slider and fastball. He'll just mow through lineups. His health is the big question with Espino. And I think if he's healthy, 
I think he may have more upside than any pitching prospect in baseball. Okay, let's uh, wrap things up with my pick, uh, and I will give you the uh, the floor in a second here to uh, <laughs> tell me what I should have done instead. But um, I I really hemmed and hawed over this one. I uh, I could have uh, done Ellie De La Cruz. I could have done I. I had been planning for over two months, basically, to make this Royce Lewis, uh, and I pivoted away from that, um, given his uh, really unfortunate injury news, and I could have gone with like a pitcher like Eric Lauer. Um, there's there's smarter things in hindsight, like when we look back in a year or two, that I probably could have done here, but I, I ended up going with Jake Berger. Uh, who I took in the 37th round of the startup draft. Uh, and it kind of ties back to sort of what I've been saying all show. Like to me, the perfect type of player to, to use this selection on was a, uh, a big league hitter in their mid twenties so that you're basically buying out their prime and locking up, you know, an active hitting spot uh going forward and i i'm sure a lot of people uh aren't as big on jake Berger as as i am but uh i just i think he's gonna be an everyday guy for the white Sox. uh basically going forward here uh he's been one of their best hitters this year and uh that's maybe damning with faint praise uh but um i just i look at the context of him essentially missing three years of development and going uh into the, the major leagues like last year like i was shocked that he was ready for for big league action in 2021 uh not very shocked by how he's performed this year but i didn't think yon mancata would be quite this bad um but i guess where where would you have gone if you had had my my options with that that underdog pick um, I would have went with Ellie De La Cruz because I love him and he has ridiculous upside if it truly comes together. I think he has 30-30 upside, very real 30-30 upside, uh, if he can hit. That I agree. End. I agree Great with question. you. Um, risky. It's a risky one. It would be very risky pick taking Ellie De La Cruz. But, you know, Jake Berger's not without risk either, and I think that's – that's my concern with the, with Berger, and I'm going to say some negatives, but I'll say some positives. <laughs> my negatives are this: uh, there's a loss swing and miss still in this game. Um, his this year, his whiff rate is 35%. His chase rate's 36.9%. Um, he's aggressive. Uh, he doesn't have great play discipline, and he's a terrible defender <laughs> uh, anywhere he plays. And I, my concern with Berger is. When Moncada comes back from injury, where is he going to play? Um, he obviously is outperforming Moncada, but Moncada is such a better defensive third baseman. Um, and he's a switch hitter, and that lineup is devoid of left-handed bats. So I'm, my concern is even just short-term, I don't know where, what role Berger's going to have because they have a glut of players that need to play in positions where you put bad defenders, right? There's left field with Eloy Jimenez when he's back. Um, you know, Andrew Vaughn at DH, they have Jose Abreu locking out down first base, at least for this year. Uh, presumably that's where Andrew Vaughn is next year. Uh, Gavin Sheets has been sent to the minors. I, I guess what I would see is like Berger's probably their DH next year. Um, 
is my is my guess. Uh, but if they're smart, they just put Eloy Jimenez there and f- sign a good outfielder. So my concern is I just unless he really mashes, which he has been at times, uh, you know his average exit velocity is uh, 91.2 miles an hour. He's a 45.5% hard hit rate. Um, he has big power. I'm just question his hit tool, question his role in defense, and um, obviously if it comes together, he could be very good. I think he could be a 30-plus home run hitter. Um, and having him locked up for three years is is important, is vital, is, is great. But there's a lot of risk still. That's my concern. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're you're dead on with with pretty much everything you said. Uh, I I think he's gonna gonna get better as a hitter. Uh, I, like I don't think he's a finished product necessarily. Yeah. Um, but he probably needs to just keep getting better in order to not uh, lose the playing time, uh, like you like you alluded to. Uh, but I also like I think this organization really likes him. Is really invested in in him um being an everyday player i know they collect designated hitters but um hopefully that'll kind of clear things or clear up a little bit uh next year uh but the reason i didn't go with ellie de la cruz is because um he's not i do not expect him to be taken in the highlander draft next year uh maybe he will be but i i I'm pretty sure that someone will take a big leaguer from me in the Highlander draft. And then I can just keep him uh, in that next round of keepers. And then if he looks like he's going to, you know, be the, the good version of Elliot de la Cruz, like when he gets to double a and gets to triple a, uh, then I, I don't mind just, you know, old fashioned, just, just keeping him with one of my um, three, uh, sort of franchise picks that that next year uh, I just I don't have enough data on him to feel comfortable making that pick I feel better about Jake Berger giving me value each year uh, over these next three years and then I get to kind of kick the can down the road a little bit with Ellie um, I really wanted to keep Royce Lewis but again he's not going to get taken in the Highlander draft it would have basically been like an auto keep I think as a underdog had he not torn his ACL yeah yeah I think uh, I was very excited about that being uh, my underdog pick but again he's not going to get taken in the underdog or, or in the uh, Highlander draft so I'll be able to kind of kick the can down the road with him as well so um, I could very easily look back and, and really regret this pick but i I do have a I do like Jake Berger uh, quite a bit. Um, so him being the same age as Willie Adamas, who's my fan favorite at, at 26 and uh, kind of locking up the, the left side of my infield was, was appealing, but I think all of your um, cautionary uh, things about Berger were, were very well taken. I mean, again, you know, he could be like a 250, 260 hitter with 30 home runs very easily. Um, but yeah, We'll see. I think it's just, you know opportunity. He has it right now. Let's see what he can do with it. Uh, but there's a chance that he goes back to the bench uh, or a part-time role very soon. Um, but again, you know Jose Abreu is out the door likely next year, so that may open the door to a regular role for him. All right, Jesse. Well, really appreciate you uh, coming back on to uh, co-host this uh, Highlander podcast with me. Uh, this was a ton of fun. Um, 
you're really great at breaking those players down. And uh, is there anything you wanted to to highlight that you got coming at, at BP before we wrap things up? Well, I alluded to, I'm actually doing an article that is going to discuss Estuary Ruiz, among other players this week. Uh, Emmanuel Valdez is another, uh, Michael Bush, a couple of players have been AAA and, and low A. This is my uh, kind of like look, dive into Stackhouse data for those levels this week. But then, you know, every month, updated Dynasty Top 500, updated Top 500 prospect rankings. Uh so if you wanted to see seek out another opinion other than James, which James has a fantastic opinion, of course, <laughs> you can check out our work at BP. And other than the Dynasty rankings, there's all kinds of other great articles coming out daily at BP. The Prospect team does great work. Um, so yeah, go ahead, give us a subscription. It's not expensive at all. Um, subscribe to all of us. Subscribe to Rotowire, of course, too, because it's a fantastic site with a lot of great sort material as well. So uh, again, thanks for having me on, James. It's always a blast. I love the pod and always a just a ton of fun talking baseball with you. Well, thanks so much, man. Keep up the good work. Uh, Esturi Ruiz content coming soon. Oh, yeah. To, to baseball perspectives. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's been the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. We'll be back uh, next week with the mailbag episode.